Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 62 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you for joining me once again to explore some etymology. Today, we're looking into language in more ways than one, because the theme for this episode is phrases that have to do with words, talking, and the like. Let's get right down to it and discuss today's phrases, origins, history, and more. First up for today is a picture paints a thousand words, which means that something is easier to comprehend when it's seen rather than just described with words. This phrase's origin is a bit convoluted because some people think it's an ancient Chinese or Japanese proverb and others think it's only about 200 years old. Most likely, it's the latter. The idea of things being worth more than words predates the actual saying. Take this line from the works of Mr. James Thompson, a biography about James Thompson, an English dramatist and poet, which was written by Patrick Murdoch, a Scottish author, publisher, and mathematician. Published in 1802, it included this quote, one timely deed is worth 10,000 words. End quote. Sure, one timely deed is an action, not a picture, but it still shows us that pictures weren't the first thing deemed to be worth more than words. In March of 1911, the Syracuse Advertising Men's Club, a paper from Syracuse, New York, ran an article which included a quote from the editor, Arthur Brisbane, which said, quote, Use a picture. It's worth a thousand words. End quote. He was saying this to encourage the use of pictures alongside articles to help tell stories. Then, ten years later, in 1921, Frederick Barnard, the National Advertising Manager of Street Railways Advertising, published an ad in Printers, Inc., an advertising trade journal. It was titled, One Look is Worth a Thousand Words, and in it he said, quote, So said a famous Japanese philosopher, and he was right. Nearly everyone likes to read pictures. Bittersweet is good to eat is a very short phrase, but it will sell more goods if presented with an appetizing picture of the product to many people morning, noon, and night every day in the year than a thousand-word advertisement placed before the same number of people only a limited number of times during the year. End quote. His ad didn't perform as well as he'd hoped it would, so six years later he changed it from one look to one picture, and instead of a thousand words, he upped it to ten thousand. He also changed the origin from an unnamed Japanese philosopher to a Chinese proverb. He later admitted to using old-timey times Japan and China as the origin because he thought it would make people take his claim more seriously. Most likely, the idea stemmed from the idea behind that 1802 quote I previously mentioned. Now, let's move on from pictures to actions. The idiom, actions speak louder than words, can be used to say that it's better to do something 
than to simply talk about it, or to say that what you do means more than what you say. At least the idea behind this one can be traced back to biblical times, as evidenced by the books of James and 1 John. The reason I'm going to talk about both books will make sense in a few moments. James was written sometime around the year 69 AD, and in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we find this. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not these things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. 1 John was written sometime between the years 95 and 110 A.D., and in chapter 3, verse 18, it says, My little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, we need to jump ahead to the 13th century to find the reason that both of these verses are relevant to the saying. Although the exact year is unknown, sometime between 1206 and 1226, the Italian Catholic friar Giovanni Francesco di Bernardoni said, quote, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. But if you really want to get back to the roots of the phrase, credit goes to the Bible and the writings of James and John. End quote. In 1500, French author Michel de Montagne said, quote, Saying is one thing, and doing is another. End quote. In 1628, John Pym, an English Parliament member, said in a speech, quote, A word spoken in season is like an apple of gold set in pictures of silver, and actions are more precious than words. End quote. Dang, that dude could turn a phrase. Anyway, we see the version of this saying that we still use today show up in 1736 in a work called The Melancholy State of Province, which is listed as written simply by a gentleman in Boston. In it, we find this quote, Actions speak louder than words, and are more to be regarded. End quote. So, you can see that this phrase and the idea behind it are quite old. Now, please excuse my French. If someone cusses, they can make up for it by saying, excuse my French, or pardon my French. But why does the land of baguettes and fromage get blamed for all the bad words that people utter? Well, basically because the French word for forgive is pardon. Well, more like pardon, but high school French was a long time ago. Anyway, in addition to that, it originally had a more literal and necessary use. In the 1800s, folks in England were rather fond of inserting French words into their conversations, mostly to show off how cultured they were. But, since not everyone spoke French, if someone said a word that their conversation partner didn't know, they would ask them to pardon their French, or in other words, forgive them for saying something that wasn't able to be understood. This is evidenced by an 1830 edition of the British fashion magazine called The Ladies' Magazine, or Entertaining Companion for the Fair Sex, appropriated solely to their use and amusement. 
If you follow me on Twitter, you might recall me tweeting about this magazine a couple weeks ago. What a title. <laughs> anyway, here's the quote. Bless me how fat you are grown. Absolutely as round as a ball. You will soon be as a bon point, excuse my French, as your dear poor father, the major. End quote. Honestly, I have no idea what the rest of the article said, so I have no context, but dang, that is a sick burn. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, sorry. Let's continue. Well, there really isn't any more to this one. It was just a necessary usage that became idiomatic. So now, let's tell it to the Marines. Okay, toppers. I'd never heard this one until I began looking for phrases for this episode. Tell it to the Marines is something you can say to someone if you don't believe something they've told you. For example, maybe someone tells you that they saved a blue whale from being beached by picking it up all by themselves and carrying it back out to sea. Obviously, this can't be done, so you might scoff and or roll your eyes and reply with, oh, tell it to the Marines. This one got its start with the actual Marines, the British Royal Marines to be exact. They were founded on October 28th of 1664, but this disbelieving phrase doesn't come into use until 1804. That's the year that John Davis, a British author that was a one-hit wonder, wrote his only successful novel. It was called The Post Captain, and it included, quote, You may tell that to the Marines. May I be damned if the sailors will believe it. End quote. Twenty years later, the much more successful author, Sir Walter Scott, wrote Red Gauntlet, and in it he said, quote, Tell it to the Marines. The sailors won't believe it. End quote. So pretty much the exact same thing, but just written by a more popular person. It grew in popularity from there, and the rest is history. With that, it's time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is, it's all Greek to me. This one is used to describe something you don't understand. It basically came about because anyone who doesn't speak Greek would have a hard time understanding it. Seriously, that's pretty much all there is to the origin of this one. But... Fret not, toppers. That's not all the information I found out about it. This one has been around since at least the early 17th century, which we know because we find it in some plays from old-timey times. The earliest was in 1603, written by Thomas Decker, an English writer known mostly for the plays and pamphlets that he wrote. In his play, Patient Grissel, he wrote this exchange between two characters, quote, asking for some Greek poet, to him he fails. I'll be sworn he knows not so much as one character of the tongue. Why then? It's Greek to him. End quote. A few years later, in 1616, we find it in a play by another playwright, one we often hear from on the show, Mr. William Shakespeare. He wrote this conversation in Julius Caesar. Quote, Did Cicero say anything? Aye, he spoke Greek. To what effect? Nay, and I tell you that, I'll ne'er look you in the face again. But those that understood him smiled at one another and shook their heads. But for mine own part, it was Greek to me. End quote. 
So the first known use in print, and what was likely the most popular use in print, can both be found within a 13-year period. The closeness of these two is likely what helped cement this metaphor into the vernacular. Now it's time for today's familiar quotation. Topper's today's familiar quotation is from C.S. Lewis. Quote, Don't use words too big for the subject. Don't say infinitely when you mean very. Otherwise, you'll have no word left when you want to talk about something really infinite. End quote. Thank you, Mr. Lewis, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words, love advice from old-timey times. Just a quick disclaimer, remember that this advice is over 100 years old. While some of the advice is still good today, I don't necessarily agree with every tip I read from these books. It's for entertainment purposes only. With that out of the way, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't despise sound common sense because he doesn't indulge in brilliant inspirations. And now for the men. Don't be too grave and solemn. Raise a bit of fun in the home now and then. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 62. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. If you want bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers. It's been real nice talking to you. Toodaloo! And now... This is... Let me rephrase. Which was written by Patrick Murdoch, a Scottish Arthur... Arthur? I do that all the dang time. A Scottish Arthur... Author. It's author. In March of 1911, the Syracuse, New York paper, Syracuse Advert... Nope. The national advertising manager of street railways... Railways... I can't say that word. With an appetizing a picture... A picture? <laughs> In 1500, French author... French... <laughs> what? In 1500, French author Miguel de Montigue... Mon... Tegne. Monte. Monte. Why do I do this to myself? <laughs> Miguel. No. M Michael de Montegne. Michel de Montegne. Michel de Montegne.
In 15... <laughs> I messed up. In 1500, a French author whose name I'm going to butcher, but is something like Michel de Montagny, Montagne, Montagne, we'll go with that. French author, <laughs> anyway, since not everyone spoke French, if, oh, no, I totally just skipped a whole bunch. Aye, he spoke a, 